scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making an appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, Friends, at this time, I invite the kids to head out to kids' ministry, and can we give our kids a hand, clap for our kids, for our volunteers. We love those whom we call our VIPs, our very impressive personages. Yeah, there you go. Good to see y'all. Um, it is an honor to uh, welcome the last speaker of our Voices series. Uh, bishop Sue Hoppert Johnson is the Bishop of the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, bishop Sue comes to us uh, from North Georgia, where she had been serving as the bishop there for a number of years, but before that, Florida, where you were a federal law clerk and litigator, and wisely she saw what was coming in Florida, and she was like, I need to serve the Lord elsewhere. All right, Um, so much wisdom coming to us today, Uh, but it is an absolute joy and an honor um, for us at Common Table to welcome our guest, Bishop Sue. Thank you, Bishop Sue. Oh, it's green now. Yeah, that works. Um, when I was a kid, I had to decide what instrument I wanted to play, and I had a friend who lugged around her French horn, so that was, I wasn't going to carry an instrument, that was it. And spit grossed me out, right? So all of the trumpets, trombone, you know, they're pouring it, uh uh-uh, no. And and then uh, anything you had to tune, right? That just seemed like it was fraught with peril. So I, I play the piano, but had I seen an instrument you could sit on? I would have so been there. So that, man, I just, you know, you live long enough and you see what you need to see. But anyhow, um, I'm here this morning to, uh, well, to celebrate with you. What a great group of folks this is. What a great vision you have. And it's a vision right out of our scripture lesson this morning. It's a vision of reconciliation, right? And it just amazes me when our big command from Jesus is to be ambassadors for him, to reconcile to each other, to tell people they are reconciled to God, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. The whole world is fighting each other, right? Right. So what I appreciate here is, and one thing I I, I appreciate about United Methodism is, since that's what I am, I'm just going to speak from that viewpoint, um, that we look for what is worthy and joyous and noble and helpful 
in other traditions, and we steal it, right? That's exactly what we do. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember I had an intern on a church staff one time, and she came in, and she came from a very conservative background, and she's like, oh, I don't think the Y should be teaching yoga in our church. It's of the devil. And I'm like, we're method? No. That, we steal good stuff, right? right? Yeah, Mindfulness, yoga, why would that not be, you know, so we are really good, and, and I think that's what makes, I think, United Methodism appeal to a lot of folks is that we, we appreciate. Let's find what's helpful in every faith tradition. Let's find, if people connect to God in different ways, I want to know what leads them that way. Yeah. But I also want to know what's distinctive about my own journey, and I can tell you uh, exactly what appeals to me about Methodism is the method. Now, years ago, I had a friend, known him since I was a baby, and he took me to lunch and he said, oh, Sue, I got a question I've asked every Methodist I've ever known. I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, what is the method? I was like, well, I can answer that. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And this kind of tells you, if you want to know, this is why you study every kind of faith tradition because they're all molded and shaped by their heritage, which is a helpful thing. But uh, John Wesley was an Oxford University professor, so no surprise, Methodists appreciate education. And we appreciate critical thinking, which is, you know, at a loss in the world today, sadly. And, and we appreciate... We appreciate um, intellectual discussion and, and many viewpoints. And, and boy, I, you know, the only thing I miss about practicing law is sitting around a table with a bunch of lawyers and hashing out stuff because they were really good at it. But we never wanted to defeat each other's viewpoint. It was always about what is helpful, what can help me understand. And so uh, what I appreciate about the method is... What John Wesley saw is that if people set aside time every day to spend connected to God, right? To spend time every day in silence, to spend time every day immersed in scripture and prayer, to spend time every day because we really believe that the Holy Spirit does God's work. Amen. And the more we're open to the Holy Spirit, the more we are like Christ. And so my journey every day is to get rid of Sue, the worst parts of Sue, the, the mean parts of Sue, the hateful, and, and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Uh, I love the Old Testament. We have, I mean, most of the New Testament we have because of church fights, right? Because Paul, Paul was starting these things, and he was saying, you know what? People are equal, and slaves and free hang out together, and in theory it was great, but when you put a group of people together, it's a lot harder, amen? <laughs> I think theoretically, well, I, I used to work for a lawyer, and he loved humankind, loved it. It's just he was miserable to be around for individual humans, right? <laughs> But the method is about, cre and it makes sense, right? If you want to run a marathon, you don't just like run outside and run 26 miles, right? You have to set aside time every day to live into that. And it's the same with our spiritual lives. And so we, we take time every day. And sometimes it's just about basking in the love of God, right? 
In a world that tells most of us that we don't measure up or we're not adequate or we're sinful or we're, we need time to connect with the God who loves us and to hear God's voice in our head instead of all the static that the world gives us, which just gets so old. You're not worthy, seems to be. And my biggest indictment of the church is too many times the church says you're not worthy when Christ says all the time you are worthy. So why are we not, if we're going to be agents of reconciliation and peace, but it begins with each one of us, right? It begins with us in our own time and space to let the Holy Spirit have full sway. Um, And you know, uh, Paul gives us a a report card in Galatians. He says, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's at work, right? How do I know if the Holy Spirit's at work? Now, I invite you to go home and ask your uh, child or your spouse or your significant other. You got to be really brave to ask your child how you're doing because this is the report card. If you have the Spirit of Christ, if you're moving on to perfection, as Wesley would say, these are the qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, generosity, self-control. Those nine things. Now, that's a big order, isn't it? I long for the day when politicians get on TV and say, vote for me because I'm loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, faithful, generous, self-controlled we could start, right? That would... <laughs> but we've lost sight of what the... A Christian isn't a person who believes all the whole list of things and does them perfectly. A Christian is one who is becoming more and more loving. And, 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 and the whole point of the Christian life and I was really glad to find this out, is not dying and getting your own harp and cloud, right? That just, that seems really crazy to me. The whole point of the Christian life is to be perfected in love and to be conformed to Christ. And what Wesley saw was this is, this is a process through the method, day in, day out, week in, week out. I always say, if you've been in church 30, 40, 50 years, you should be darn near perfection, Right? You should have done this work over your whole life. Sadly, sometimes that's not the case. But anyhow, that, that there is a sense of I am becoming more and more like Christ. And what Wesley said was, usually we're made perfect in love on our deathbed. And then we meet Christ face to face and all he sees is himself. Right? That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. So I would say my word to you is, Set aside a method, a method where you bask in the love of God, a method where you read scripture for enlightenment and encouragement, not to bash other people with it, but to be, you know, scripture is a means of grace, right? I love the the good part of the reform song was it's it's grace upon grace, right? And that's the heart of Methodism, that you read and you are, you are given the mind of Christ over time. And if you do that, it it transforms you to be like Christ, but then the next part of it is it makes you like Christ to others, right? And uh, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, said, you know, 
in theory, this is great, but then you look at the people on the pew next to you, right? That it's really hard to love somebody else, to bear with one another in love. I think Paul knew exactly what he was talking to bear with one another in love. Because part of life is bearing with people we disagree with. Amen. And, you know, I don't know, I know you guys don't have anybody in this church that gets on your last nerve. But every church I've served, there have been people who get on my last nerve. Amen. Just name it, right? And I would, I would have to pray with them. And I would take them with me into my prayer time, not literally, but I would just have to. And I would find, now sometimes it would take a couple of years, that I would grow to love them. Yeah. And it, I, that would happen because I would get to know them. I would stay in relationship with them. And I would find out, you know, usually I'd find out, gosh, considering what they were born of or came out of, they're pretty darn well adjusted. I still think they're a jerk, but, you know. But no, the other thing I would find is a lot of times what they, the buttons they pushed were about me more than they were about them. So I think a commitment to a Christian life is to really commit yourselves to seeing the other through the eyes of Christ, um, to cultivate relationship where it's not harmful, and to really, you know, the, the phrase I've come up with is gracious inquiry. Uh, the writer Parker, Parker Palmer says that um, we should approach every human being with wonder, yeah. right? I wonder why you think that way. I wonder why you act that way. I wonder where you grew up. I wonder what you've been programmed with your whole life. I wonder about you. I think that's gracious inquiry. And if we could start there, we could change the world. Because my observation is our world is programmed to look for what is most offensive, most ugly, most outrageous about you and write you off. And so Christ's command, if we're going to be agents of reconciliation, is to become one with each other. Amen. The last part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to use us as a group to change the world. That's the best part, I think, right? That, that we are put together, all of you have different gifts. Whenever I meet with somebody, and I meet with a ton of people who say to me, you know, I'm a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, I just don't want to deal with the church. And I always say, well, how much can you as one human being do alone? Because the problems that are facing us today require groups of people, require advocacy, require movements to transform. I mean, I don't know about you, and I, I think there's a reason the world looks longingly back at Mayberry, you know, unless you're a woman or a person of color or, you know. <laughs> But, you know, but the, but the Mayberry image, what I think they long for is a time when the churches of a town could take care of all the problems, right? I look back at that. Can you imagine growing up at a time where the only people you knew who died were those who died in their bed? Right? I mean, think how many, think how many murders you've seen by the time you're 10 years old. So I get why we long for a kinder, gentler, simpler world. But I think that that's why the church has to be the church now. 
We've got to have movements and people to mobilize and groups of people because all of you bring different gifts. And that's one thing I loved about the early Methodists and one, one early Methodist story because this is the most compelling to me. The early Methodists were the strongest force against the slave trade in the British Empire. That was what they decided, this motley crew. And man, they were hated in England in the 1700s because they were rabble-rousers, right? They were calling out the rich, calling out the status quo, calling out how closed the churches were. So they decided that they were going to fight the slave, tra the slave trade. And they used everybody's gifts. Uh, one of the famous ones was Hannah Moore. And Hannah was an actress. And oh my goodness, actresses were looked down upon in that day. But Hannah Moore would write dramas about how badly the slaves were treated. They would send, the early Methodists would infiltrate the slave ships. And they would write and, and draw pictures and really inform the whole country how awful this was and the conditions on these slave sh ships. There was a um, guy who was a great um, metal worker, and he did coins, and that was his gift. And he did a coin depicting the beating of a slave that spread all over England and started a huge conversation against the slave trade. So all of these Methodists working together, using their different gifts, crying out. They even had William Wilberforce, who was a member of Parliament, and, um, man, he really really got at it. It took 20 years, but those early Methodists single-handedly were the force to end the slave trade in the British Empire. Those are the kind of movements we need. And we need folks who have every gift here. And I love how Paul says, you know what, if we're all, if the, we're all a part of a body, and if we're all eyes, it ain't going to work, right? right? And we can't say to the hand, we don't need you. All of us have a have a role to play as we come together as a body. Um, years ago, I was in my prayer time and I was thinking about my childhood. And I don't know about you, but I always played the three wishes game. Did you? Where you would have three wishes and you know your first wish is always, I want three more wishes. But um, I would, and it usually involves stupid child things like chocolate, right? Or, um, McDonald, I don't know, stupid wishes. But um, I was thinking a few years ago, if I was given wishes, what would I wish for? And I finally settled upon this, and I decided I'd only need one wish, and I would give my life for this wish. And um, this is what I would wish. I would wish that every human being could be cherished. Every human being cherished. Uh, because I have in my life experienced an embarrassment of people pouring love into me and showing me Christ. But you know, in an age when thousands of children age out of foster care, when so many people are told you don't fit or you don't belong or you are not right or you are not well or you are not, you need one person. My husband Alan was a chaplain at Florida Southern College in Florida. And he was talking to a counselor one day, and he said, you know, I'm just disturbed by the, the mental health of a lot of the students, and what helps? And she said, you know what? My observation is one person can transform the life of another human being. Amen. One person to cherish them, 
one person to speak love into their hearts, one person to fully accept them. And so uh, I think that's the church's job, to find people who nobody cherishes, to have your, I mean, I pray the Holy Spirit all the time, show me, open my eyes to the people nobody else sees or listens to or wants to be with. Because one person can transform a life. And so that, to me, is the mission of the church. Uh, I read a few years ago that um, when they drop a bomb, when the U.S. military drops a bomb anywhere, they figure out the death zone, right? They have to know what's the capacity for killing, what's the possibility of killing civilians. So they chart the death zone, which I found pretty appalling. But I thought, now, what if churches were judged by their love zone, right? How are you moving out? How are you gathering in? How are you finding new people to cherish? How are you using your gifts to connect? How are you reconciling the world to God? It's a, you know, to me, what an amazing mission that is. And what an amazing way to pour out your life, to extend the love of God to a person who's not cherished, and to really, as a body, fight against uh, the tremendous uh, powers and principalities, because that's what we're facing today, powers and principalities that destroy the dignity of human beings and that deprive them of liberty and deprive them of their own sacred worth. And so uh, that, to me, in a nutshell, is, the, is the, the heart of Methodism, that we believe the power of the Holy Spirit can make us one with Christ so we have his mind. And you probably could start there, stop there, right? If you have the mind of Christ, you're going to be one with each other and one in ministry with all the world. But we want to be redundant because we need to be. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ, one with each other in a unity we can't understand or explain. And that should make the world go, wow, uh, what's, what, that's crazy. Those people love each other and they're so different. How can that be? That's the power of our witness. And then the Holy Spirit can make us one in ministry to the whole world. And we know the whole world right now is really messed up. And we need a love zone that expands and expands and expands. And I am delighted to invite you on that journey, encourage you in that journey, and rejoice that you are a people working to reconcile the world to God. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.